Good morning. <clears throat> Today's scripture reading is from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, the seventh chapter, the 12th to the 16th verse. The reading is also in your bulletin. If you are able, please stand for the reading. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? This is the word of the Lord. I want to thank our praise team again for continuing to bless us, um, to just bless us. Thank you, Sister Jones. Um, we are continuing our study of Paul's first letter to the church in the city of Corinth. Uh, the last time we looked at the 10th and the 11th verses of the 7th chapter uh, where we read, uh, To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Paul is clear. He's explicit. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm speaking for Paul. I'm not giving interpretation of scripture. I'm telling you what Christ said. See, he's, 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 he's bringing to their remembrance. He's, he's responding to questions that the believers in the city of Corinth had uh, put forward. It written uh, some questions about this, that, and the other. And so now we've marched chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, chapter five, and there's not broken down by chapter marks in the letter. It's just one long letter. And so now it's, it's been divided up, and now we come to this point in his letter. And as, you share, as we shared last week uh, in the 16th chapter, um, of the Gospel of Luke, and in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we have Jesus' position on marriage and divorce. Uh, I share now, as we shared last week, the message version of Mark's Gospel and how it reads, the Pharisees came up intending to give him a hard time. They asked, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus said, what did Moses command? They answered, Moses gave permission to fill out a certificate of dismissal and divorce her. Uh, Jesus said, Moses wrote this command only as a concession to your hard-hearted ways. In the original creation, God made male and female to be together. Because of this, a man leaves father and mother, and in marriage, he becomes one flesh with a woman, no longer two individuals, but forming a new unity. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should, be, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. When they were back home, after he had given the instruction to the congregation writ large, the disciples raised their hand, Jesus, can you, uh, can you break this down some more? When they, when they went back home, the disciples brought it up again. Jesus gave it to them straight. A man who divorces his wife so he can marry someone else commits adultery against her. 
And a woman who divorces her husband so she can marry someone else commits adultery. As I like to say, particularly when we read very clear, very explicit <coughs> texts, this is the word of the Lord. This is not Mark's opinion. This is, this is, this is not, oh, well, you know, this is what we ought to do. This, this, is, this, is, this is a good suggestion. This is the word of the Lord. And it's extremely clear. And this ought to give us a better perspective when, as, when Paul writes, again, going back to the 10th and the 11th verse, to the married, I give this command. Not I, but the Lord. Duh. Uh, and uh, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. When we really understand what it means to be a Christ follower, like I said, not a groupie, not a religious zealot, you know, that there's, that's, and we have those today. We have groupies and we have religious zealots. Uh, a Christ follower, we then really understand just how radical it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not, this is, this is not, oh, we just kind of, you know, trim a little fat off the edge of the steak or something so it's, it, it, it tastes a little better, you know, of life. No, no, no. This is, this is altogether a different other. Um, but I also want to remind us, too, to read the text as it is and not read what's not there. Read the text. Read the text in its context and setting. But then don't take it and run with it and, and, and eisegete or, or do things that, well, the text didn't intend to speak that way that we're trying to make it speak. The point of the text, here's the, the, the takeaway of the text, the whole point of the text is that we honor God in everything we say and in everything we do, especially in the most sacred thing that we can do this side of eternity with one another. There's nothing more holy, there's nothing more sacred than a man and a woman entering into that covenantal relationship with one another. That's why Jesus talks, uh, I mean, that's why scripture reveals, in the, particularly in the book of Revelation, behold, you know, the, 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 the bride of Christ, it's coming down. It's, 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 it's wonderful. It's this, this, this unity, this, 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 this organic, this intimate relationship that Jesus wants with each and every one of us as believers. It, it's, it's the archetype, the thing that we can actually look through to, to begin to get that understanding of, well, what is he really talking about? Think of about the, 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 the tightness and the unity and the, uh, both physically and spiritually, emotionally and mentally between a man and a woman. That's, that's, you, you can't get any more intimate than that. That's exactly why it's, it's such a big deal. The point of the text is to honor God in everything that we say and do. That's why we should carefully consider, first, should we marry? That, that's the first consideration. We, 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 we tread that ground, but, but that's the first consideration because the, the, the knee-jerk response is, well, uh, you know, uh, I feel like something, my, my clock is ticking. Uh, you know, I'm reaching a certain age. I guess I'm supposed to get married. Should you? Should you? Ask a friend. A friend might say, you're not ready. <laughs> you're not ready. You're not ready. You're not in a, you're not in a, in a healthy spiritual 
space. So carefully consider first, should we marry? And then second, who to marry? Well, you know, there aren't too many buses coming down the, the street, so I guess I'll hop on this one. That could be the, the trip to nowhere. That could be the trip that takes you over the cliff. Uh, it's just, should you marry? And who do we marry? Uh, but because we don't do one or two or both well, we come somewhat unhinged when we're looking for a relationship, if I like to say, an escape hatch. I didn't think about one or two very well. Now I find myself in it. Let me see. What's the exit plan? You don't, <laughs> you don't go shopping and just start raking stuff off the shelf and put in your basket, then take it home and it's like, okay, now what do I need and what do I don't need? Let me take it back. That doesn't make much sense. You think it through. You think it, you, you think it through. It's like, okay, I need this, I need this, I need this. You, you know, sometimes, <laughs> oh my goodness, it's like, you know, that's why we have relationship classes, and we're going to have relationship 2.0 uh, class. Uh, is ask a friend. Ask someone. Maybe, maybe you're not the best judge of yourself. It's like, well, you know, it's like, well, I think, it's, I, I shared with you before, I share now. Uh, someone was filling out, it was, I think it was eHarmony or Match.com, and they, they were going down the list, and they were answering the questions. I'm like, that's not you. You're answering these questions with the objective of getting someone, hooking someone, bamboozling someone into liking uh, uh, some, some pretend version of you. And that's not you. Is there any wonder then? It's like uh, months, years down the line. It's like, who are you? I don't like you. I don't, I don't even know you. Uh, so today, uh, that's, that's, that was last week. So today we want to pick up at the 12th verse uh, where we read, to the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? I just... just it's not even in my notes, but I just, I just love, we talk about, uh, again, this is first century writing, but uh, the egalitarian approach that Paul has with dealing with this, this relational issue. It's like, I'm not making a distinction. Well, ladies, you have a higher responsibility or you're less than. It's like, no, I'm talking to both y'all. And I'm dealing with you at the same level. Husbands, boom. Wives, boom. Um, there are two important points that need to be understood. At least two. You know, I was like, at least, at least two. But let me just deal with two. First, when Paul says, I, not the Lord, he's not just rendering a personal opinion. You know how we like to say, honey, th this is what I think. Well, if it were me, this is what I would do. 
This is not what he is saying. This is not how he's approaching it. What he's saying is that unlike the previous section where Jesus explicitly speaks to the matter, this specific situation where a couple is married and one becomes a believer and one still is not a believer was not addressed explicitly by Christ. That's all. So, so it's, it's, it's like, I'm not, I'm not, he, didn't, he didn't put down a marker and say, this is what you do in this situation. But let me give you the thrust of Jesus' teaching and what he would say. Um, I think about my father in, in, uh, a lot, really a lot. Um, and even in terms of ministry, and uh, for those of you who have, who've seen the, the little trifold brochures on City Church that he planted close to 30 churches in his lifetime, electrical contractor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, he's got more on his resume than I could have in 10 lines. Uh, but that was his gift. That was his calling. That was, that's what he was called to do. Uh, but I think about him uh, in situations, both in terms of ministry lived out, but also in the renovation of the, the building that we occupy, uh, is he physically constructed buildings. Think I say, what would Reuben do? I don't remember the story uh, that he may have said explicitly. Uh, well, son, you do this. When this comes, you do this, you do this. I don't have all of those stories. I have a few. I have a lot, actually. Uh, but there are some situations where it's like, I'm pretty sure dad would do this based on who he is, how he rolled, the type of life that he lived. So in that, in that, in that way, this is, this is, this is that. Um, the second point that, that uh, needs to be made kind of up front right now um, is uh, <laughs> a believer shouldn't be marrying a non-believer. I mean, it's, 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 it's right there. I mean, it's like it's implied and it's just as plain as the nose on my face. Uh, a believer should not marry a non-believer. Is that your opinion? No, it's not my opinion. It's scriptural. As Paul would later write uh, in his second letter to the church at Corinth, uh, don't become partners with those who reject God. Is there any confusion Anything about this that, that, that is like, well, that, that's over my head. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, 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 what do you really mean? What I really mean is don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Uh, is, is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? A lot of what I have dealt with in my capacity as a friend, as a uncle, as a, not so much as a brother, but as a cousin, as, and as a pastor is dealing with the aftermath of, you didn't think through point one. You didn't think that through. Again, it was that, well, there aren't too many buses coming down the street. Let me just hop on this one. And you know what? I can tell that bus driver, don't go down this street. We'll go down this street. Try that with RT when you ride 51. <laughs> just try that. Just try, just, just try that. You know what? This is a, this, I know you always go this way. How about we turn down this way? 
Sit down. Sit in your seat. You think I'm joking. That's exactly what happens in life. Oh, I can change her. I can change him. He'll see it my way. She'll understand. She'll see it my way. Uh, Yeah, okay. Uh, Yeah, right. Uh, Following Christ means just that. Following Christ. I told you it was radical, didn't I? It's radical. It's radical, which means not doing the things that satisfy me, but please and honor him. So it doesn't matter if it's our college majors, our careers, who we marry, or who we even date. Much of the problems we will face later could be eliminated if we would have simply understood that light and darkness are incompatible. If we would just deal with that, deal with that, deal, light and darkness are incompatible, as youth would say, period, with a T. (laughs) Light and darkness don't go together. And if we dealt with that, then much of the problems that we face in life, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be, uh, Dealing with that, as Sister Meeks often says, uh, you want to start the way you want to finish. If you really want to finish a certain way, you need to think about how you start a certain way. But we just, oftentimes, we just leap into situations, and it's like, well, wow, what did I get myself into? You didn't think about that, did you? You know? It's like, that's why, I mean, I, I'm, I'm old, uh, but older, I'm not old. Uh, uh, but if I see a pool of water, it's just like, I'm not just jumping in. I might get hypothermia. It's like, let me put my, let me put my foot in there. Oh, it's cold. Let me wait. This ain't the season to get in that pool. It's not the time to get in that pool. You go diving in. <gasps> it's like, see, you should have asked somebody. Um, again, looking at the seventh chapter of the first Letter to the Corinthians, 12th verse. To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her unbelieving husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but it is written, they are holy. The text and Paul's instruction seems perfectly clear, straightforward, consistent with Christ's overall instruction. But if you're like me, the curiousness kicks in when he writes about, you know, sanctification, sanctified. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Sanctified. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. Uh, sanctified, well, what does it mean? Dedicated, hallowed, made holy. Uh, You don't see it here. It's implied, though, because it it does say it's in the has been sanctified, so you should, you English majors, should be able to discern that uh, it's in the passive tense, which means the person is doing nothing except to receive the action, but it's also in the completed tense. 
which means it's, it's, it's I mean, in the perfect tense, it means it's a completed action. It's, it's, it's both passive and it's completed. It's being done to the person and it's done to the person. Uh, when we speak of sanctification, let me just break it down. When we speak of sanctification in the life of a believer, we know that the Holy Spirit is working in, through, and with us. That we are better than we were yesterday, but we're not as good as we're going to be tomorrow. We're better than we were yesterday, but we're not as good as we're going to be tomorrow. That's the Holy Spirit of God living in you and making you better than yesterday, but not as good as you're going to be tomorrow. That's active, that's the active work of the Holy Spirit in the life of each and every one of uh, God's believers. That's not what we're talking about here. What he's talking about is, think of it, you know, as, as scripture lets us know. When it rains, does, does God just send the rain on those that are saved? Or does he send it on the unsaved? Well, when it rains, it rains. Scripture says, God rains on the just as well as the unjust. There are collateral benefits associated with being uh, in God's creation. And God causes seasons to happen and things to happen. And you get sunshine. You get rain. You get the blooms of flowers. You get, who gets to enjoy that? Everybody who can enjoy it. Everybody that's in that situation. So uh, just as the rain God allows to fall from the sky on the just as well as the wicked, the non-believer is blessed by being in the presence, and in this case, in the relationship of the believer. I like how the message version uh, of this 14th verse reads, really, really captures the essence of what's being said. The unbelieving shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. As it is, they are also included in the spiritual purposes of God. I think that really captures the essence of what Paul is writing about. Um, let me help you out. Let me help me out. Anytime through Scripture, up until Jesus, anytime unclean, came in contact with the clean, unclean always prevail. I guess that one helped me out. Unclean always won. Be it leprosy or the menstrual flow of a woman. Unclean always trumped clean until Jesus Christ. That's why the lady who was years in a situation, years, years dealing with a situation. Did I say years? I said years dealing with a situation. Scripture says she spent everything. She was ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And what did she do? She just crept up. I'm not announcing nothing. I'm just, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to the source of my healing. 
I'm, I'm going to where I, I believe I can get a cure. Yes. That's where I'm going. And unclean met the absolute personification of holiness. And what happened? Immediately. It wasn't a gradual, oh, you know, well, it's going to take a process of time. It might take a few months. You know, a little chemo here, a little radiation there. You know, it's just a little surgery here. It's like she, she came into the presence of infinite holiness and immediately she was healed. Clean, real clean, not Mark's clean. Not my clean. My clean, I, I could scrub all day, rub-a-dub-dub, devil's still in the tub. It's like, no, 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 it, it, no, it's not Mark's clean. Not Mark's clean, but his clean. Immediate healing made whole. I'm almost finished. At least two points. At least, again, here we go. At least two points. This ought to be a reminder that our lives are not our own. See, all of this, this, this whole text ought to just keep, keep emphasizing, your life's not yours. Your life's not yours. I know you two are married, but your life's not yours. She was God's daughter before she was your wife. He was God's son before he was your husband. Your life's not yours. It's not yours. Before you took that career, your life's not yours. I created you for a certain reason, for a certain purpose. Your life is not yours. I am giving you opportunity to obey, follow, and do my will. I'm giving you that freedom to choose, but your life is not yours. Second point is, the Holy Spirit of God is in you and in me. And when we operate in him, which is, which, uh, that which is unclean changes because of our presence on our jobs and in our homes and in, with those that we come into contact with. Now, I understand we're not Jesus, but we have Jesus in us. And I also understand that we are, we are in this, this tent that, that sometimes wants to do battle. A lot of times it wants to do battle with the holiness of God. So, but, but, but still, my point is that when we come into situations, just our presence, I don't know, you, you should have experienced this on your job, for those of you who work outside of the home. For those of you who work in the home, you should have experienced it, that when you come into a situation, your presence ought not to be, oh boy, this is Brother Toxic coming in here. Sister Argumentative coming in here. So what, what spirit are you projecting? What spirit are you possessing? You, you should walk into a place and it's just like, you should go, oh, you know, you, you, it should be like that. And seriously, it should be like that. But you know and I know, some of the honoriest, most cantankerous, the most people, it's like, I don't want to be around you, but I love Jesus Christ. It's like, uh, go meet him then. Go meet him. Go meet him. It's like because you're, you're, you're Debbie Downer, you're, 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 you're Pigpen, you're, you're everything. There's a, there's a cloud of funk that's following you everywhere you go. But we love Jesus. Um, actually, there's a third point. I tell you, these, these, these numbers, I don't even know why I number. They don't mean anything. Uh, 
I want to be clear. This is not an invitation for us to date or to marry in order to transform people because we have the Holy Spirit of God living in us. You can't even save yourself. How are you going to save somebody? Right, right, right. Oh, I, you know, I, I get them saved. Get yourself saved. Amen. Get yourself saved. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, we witness and we walk with unbelievers. We witness and we walk with unbelievers. We don't date and we don't marry unbelievers. I hope I'm being real clear, particularly to our singles. I know, it's like, oh, well, then how am I going to meet somebody? You better, if the choice is to be single or to be married to a non-believer, trust me, single. Every day, twice on Sunday, single. Single. But pastor, that pastor, nothing. Then you lose my number when, when stuff hits the fan. You lose my number because you'll be coming there scratching at the door. Oh, I'm so miserable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't see that one coming, did you? Huh? Uh, I know. I hear you. I hear you. I know a couple. I know a couple. You know, there's always a couple. You know, this, this couple somewhere. Uh, they're either unbelievers or one of each, and they seem perfectly fine. Okay, maybe so. From your perspective, my response is one. That's a couple that's equally joined as unbelievers. And what I said, what did two dead fish do? They just float downstream. Two dead fish float downstream. That's all they do. That, that's all they do. Oh, what do you say? Look, light and darkness don't have anything in common. Two dead fish just floating downstream. Um, or if it's, a, if it's a couple that you think everything's hunky-dory, I mean, really, you need to get and really, really, really ask them. Is it, is, is it all good? Is it, really, is it all good? Trust me, what will have happened is that one of them will have compromised. The Christian will have compromised his or her faith in order to keep the peace. We won't bring that up. We don't talk about that here. We don't pray over our meals, you know. Uh, how do we rear our kids? Well, uh, well I want to take them to church. No, you don't. Well, I want to teach them about Jesus. No. I've, I've heard it. This is my family. I, 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 I've heard it. Uh, here Paul is saying to those that were married as unbelievers. Unbelievers got married. One gave their life to Christ. If the unbelieving person wants to stay in the relationship, you, the believer, stay in the relationship. The kids and the unbelieving spouse will be made better by being in that relationship. Uh, Paul anticipates the next question as he writes. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Again, my point, I'll, I'll, I'll read point, well, he said, talk about save. It's, it's, we are saved by Christ. We become that, we be, potentially become that vehicle, that door through which people can step through to see Christ in how we live our life. I'm closing. God has called us to live in peace. That's, that's what it says right here. God has called us to live peace. In peace, the, the word used here in the Greek, not that you really care, irene, uh, it has the same meaning as the Hebrew word shalom. 
You know, the translation would be shalom if it were uh, using the, the Septuagint. Uh, see, we have, we often use the word shalom. You know, it's, I guess it's cool. Yeah, I mean, it's whatever. Yeah. Uh, but we really don't have a true grasp of what it means. Uh, a lot of times we think of peace as just the absence of violence. I'm not, you know, we're not at war, so we're at peace. You know, that's, so that's shalom. Well, that just means you're not at war. You know, uh, there are countries that have armistice. They have, they have declarations of we'll stop shooting at you, but we're not at peace. It's a lot of relationships like that. A lot. We're not shooting at each other, but we're not at peace either. Uh, shalom is more than the absence of fighting or screaming. It's more than quiet. It's more than being alone in bed with a book with good music playing. It's, it's, it's more than a stroll on the beach by yourself. See, it's a peace that seems to be elusive even for confessing Christians. Because we don't experience it, we don't even know when we're in it. I, I, I'm closing. I, I, I had... Uh, um, it's not a shameless plug, it just is. I had a, recently celebrated a birthday, and I had the opportunity to share it with two of our kids, their spouses, and five out of eight grandkids. And it was noisy. It was busy. We had to wait for the table. It was, you know, the meats rolled deep. You know, so it's, it's like you don't get a table just like that. It's a 45-minute 40, wait, you know, and I had so much peace in that situation. It was so good. Uh, it was so good. But, but you had to wait. You had to, it, things weren't perfect. Uh, it's, it was so good. It was shalom. It was, but you see, being able to recognize that when you're in the moment and to be in the moment and to experience the moment and to rejoice in the moment and to thank God for the moment. Then when those periods when it seems like it's fleeting, it's just like, oh, wow. Well, at least I know, I know what it would be like uh, even if I don't have it right now. It's that spiritual space of residence where we're aware of and choose to accept and reside in. We choose to experience shalom even when our situations might dictate that given the circumstances, the peace ought not be the last, the peace ought to be the last thing on your mind. It's like, why do you, why are you so calm? And why do you have this, 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 this smile, this, 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 this aura about you that it's just peaceful? I know what you've got in your checking account. I know what the doctor just said. I know what's going on. I know you're still looking for that position that you don't have, but you're experiencing shalom. I want that. Can you help me to get to that point? That's where, again, if I'm salt, if I'm light, I have that opportunity. We have the ability to choose to choose to enter into that space we are called to live in. God's peace. God's peace, despite the absolute chaos of life, including the chaos of relationships. This isn't the perfect relationship, 
but it's a relationship God allowed me to experience, and I'm going to step into that peace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.